Welcome back to the energetics of everything, your favorite place to learn about all things, wealth, health, and personal development from an energetic perspective. If you are someone who is in pursuit of both being the best version of yourself and creating a wildly impactful life, then this is the place for you. Throughout this podcast, you will learn how to use my hindsight as your foresight as you identify your purpose, optimize your behavior patterns, and create a ripple effect of positive change that your soul knows you're capable of. My name is Eden Carpenter, and I am so excited to be a part of your personal growth today. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Energetics of Everything podcast. I am here with Hannah, who is a sacral generator. She's a 4-6 sacral generator, and she works with both human design and ADHD. Hi, Hannah. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. Me too. We were just talking about how excited I am for your perspective on ADHD and all of the things. But before we jump too far into the conversation, I'd love to get a brief introduction to you and the work that you do. Maybe tell us a little bit about how you got into this, your story, whatever you feel is relevant. Yeah. So I am a human design reader. I'm an astrologer and I'm also a coach. So my work is a little bit separate. So I coach people with ADHD, but I don't use human design within that coaching work. That's something that I do as a freelancer. So human design and astrology was something that I was studying for quite a while, to be honest, and I never really saw it going anywhere. But I also have a business in the wellness space. So we specialize in somatics. So we help people with like EFT to like reprogram their stress response to certain things and lots of different energy techniques and things like that. And as I was kind of growing that business, I started to realize that my sacral wasn't super aligned with that. So I've now started feeding astrology and human design to that side of my work as well. So a little bit of a mixed bag, but yeah, it's really interesting though for me because I have a human design and astrology background, I use it to inform my coaching practice. Mm. So when I am working with clients, though I don't actually have their birth data, when I start to notice little things about them, like when I see certain not self theme patterns come up again and again and again, I actually know what guiding questions to ask them and how to kind of facilitate them into thriving and how to play with different strategies to see what works for them. So I love that. Can you share an example of a non-self theme that you've seen pop up and how you've navigated that with a person, even if you don't have their human design chart? Yeah. So one of my clients was massively struggling with bitterness to the point where it was like self-sabotaging all areas of his life. And to be honest, I think that it was the single defining thing that was actually debilitating him and being able to be consistent and show up in a way that felt good for him and his workplace and things like that. In that specific situation, what I really guided him to do was to start to work with recognizing himself like where are your gifts what do you have to offer and stop placing so much energy outside of himself and working on how do I get myself into alignment how can I shine how can I see the value in the things that I have to offer and also maybe not having too much high expectations and having so much judgment thrown onto other people when actually a lot of it was internal. That's so amazing. Yeah. And I love that you're able to support somebody in working through that even without 
knowing their design. That's something that I've really been playing with is we all experience all of the non-self themes. We all experience all of the different elements of the human design chart. And I may be a manifesting generator, but I have three projected channels. And so there is a lot of unconscious bitterness that I've had to work with. It doesn't necessarily matter if I'm a projector or I'm not that theme of bitterness can still be a debilitating pattern. Like you've said, that's a great moment where you're not necessarily using human design to say, this is what this person needs, but you're using the principles of human design to evaluate the situation and respond correctly. You're using your wisdom to respond to the situation and break the pattern. And I love that. And I feel like that is such a valuable skill to have is to be able to recognize those patterns in real life and take away the necessity of do they have this in their chart i remember being an early human design reader and it didn't matter if i saw a pattern i wanted to make sure they had it in their chart and if they didn't sometimes i would think i've done something wrong i've misinterpreted it they can't be experiencing that pattern they don't have this defined or undefined i limited myself based off the human design chart. And so to see that you're not doing that, you're not using the chart as a box, you're using it as a source of wisdom to inform your practice is very powerful. So just tons of recognition for you on that. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. This is really it. Because like what learning human design really gives you is a language for energetics. That's what it is. It's the same with astrology as well. All it gives us is languaging that our current understanding of the English language often doesn't really lend itself to very well, if that makes sense. For me, when we have these systems that help us understand certain traits, when they're out of balance, then you understand how to shift them back into balance. The same with astrology and Gemini energy, for example, Mm -hmm. is something that's super scattered, right? But the purpose of it is supposed to be it's changeable so it can meet people where they're at. Really, when you start to notice these traits, you can then provide a container of support that's like, hey, have you thought about this thing in this way? How about you try this thing to kind of bring this into balance or knowing what the opposite of something could be so you can help them ground. I always say that every weakness is a strength that's out of balance. That's something that really informs my work. I love that perspective. That's deep in the gene keys, that's in human design, that's in a lot of things. I love that perspective so much. So to guide us a little bit away from human design and towards neurodivergency and ADHD, as somebody who works with neurodivergency, ADHD, nervous system regulation, how do you understand it? What is your perspective Just orient us into your world and your mind and your way of thinking about neurodivergency. I really don't know a lot about neurodivergency in terms of like autism and things like that. But ADHD is something that I'm very, very well versed. And I work with these people every single day. I have like over 20 clients that I speak to every single day. I do witness this in my life a lot. And I am not medically trained at all. I do not necessarily have a lot of education in the science behind the thing, but I know how to guide people. And in perfect honesty, I don't really see the difference in coaching people with ADHD and people without it. And honestly, I think that in a way, ADHD is just like another language to describe symptoms that human design also describes. I don't discredit the existence of ADHD at all. And also I think that in the paradigm that we live in right now, it's really validating for people to have a reason for the way that, because they don't fit into these normal parameters that we expect like a good normal human to function in, that when they don't fit into that, they feel that they're wrong or they're broken or they're bad or there's something wrong with them. So when they're finally given the reason for that, then, you know, 
oh my God, that must be the most liberating feeling in the world to be like, oh my God, someone finally understands me. Mm -hmm. But I don't necessarily think that having a diagnosis and symptoms to be managed is also the most empowering way to look at what I personally see as just a personality trait, if I'm honest. I know that that might potentially be a little bit controversial. And again, I'm not speaking from a medical perspective here, but just what I really see in my clients, because I see people with ADHD completely thriving now. I have started with people who couldn't even focus on work for 10 minutes and where we've created the right structure for them. And they're functioning way better than I am. And I don't have ADHD. So it is very, very interesting. And yeah, I don't know. I think that human design gives us empowering languaging that we can kind of see that we have traits and that there's a reason for them. Like they're a gift that we're here to bring to the world. There's a reason and a purpose behind these traits that we have rather than, oh, this is wrong with you. And this is how you can kind of just manage that. But you're going to function like other people will. Yeah, I completely agree. And something that I've noticed is that the labels of a diagnosis can often be used as justification or as an excuse for imbalanced behavior instead of that label being the first step in creating change. From an energetic perspective, thinking about the gene keys, it says that the shadow is the soil from which we grow the gift. I'll go with 34. 34 is my conscious son. And so it has the shadow of force, the gift of strength. Every time I experience that sensation of force, every single time that I want to push something, push myself, push the boundaries even further, make something happen right now, I get to utilize that gift of strength. It's in that moment where I want to force something and I say, I'm not going to push this. I'm strong enough to take a break. I'm strong enough to stay in this for the long game and that doesn't require burning out. I'm strong enough to, in that moment, pull myself back so that I can be here for the long run. That gift, I don't become strong without that sensation. If I don't feel the sensation of force, I'm not getting stronger. I'm not pushing myself if I'm not coming up against that edge of force. And so with things like confusion, I think about gate 64 and confusion has the gift of imagination. And when you're in the energy of confusion, it's just that there's an abundance of inspiration. And yeah, it can feel confusing, but if you can't sit in that confusion and play with what if this idea fits with this idea and mismatch the different pieces of inspiration, you're not exercising your imagination. It's like in that shadow is where we get to build that gift. And if we just use that shadow as, oh, I have ADHD, I have this symptom, I'm just chaotic or I'm just whatever, and we just use it as an excuse to stay in that shadow, we're not exercising the challenges that we've been given in life. And of course, our challenges always feel like the hardest thing in the world. Every single one of us thinks that our challenges are somehow harder than everyone else's, and they are for us. They're literally designed to be the most challenging things for us specifically. And so everybody is facing the hardest things that they could possibly face in their life. Of course, it's challenging and we don't want to disempower that, but you're challenged because you're strong enough to create change. You're challenged because you have the gift. We have an opportunity to play with those and use those or disempower ourselves and not really give ourselves the permission to be ourselves fully. So I love that you brought that up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think that it is, you know, why would you not choose to see things in your life as an opportunity? And like, oh, cool, this is something that I'm struggling with, or this is a challenge that I'm facing. What is this teaching me? Like, how can yeah. I grow through this? How can I lean into this? Because it's here to show me something. Mm -hmm. And kind of just seeing the meaning and purpose behind everything, because that's such a lovely place to live life from. Yeah. It's an empowering place to live life from as well. Mm -hmm. And I think about when I'm 80, when I'm 90, when I'm really old, am I going to be happy about just feeling like, oh, my challenges are so, so big and disempowering myself from the beginning? Am I going to feel good about living that life? Or do I want to challenge myself? Do I want to push myself in a way where I'm proud of the life that I lived, even if it had mistakes along the way? It's where do you want to go in life? <laughs> do, you, do you want to make the most of it? Or do you want to allow the label to define who you are? And really that's their own choice. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And it's interesting what we were talking about with noticing when gifts are out of balance, how to shift seeing the opportunity and how to shift that. All that really is, is self-awareness. Having self-awareness really gives you the ability to be able to have choice in how you respond in a different way or create an environment in which that you can thrive. Mm -hmm. So for example, the main tool that I use with my clients in ADHD coaching and this really shocked me because when I started this, I was like, how is it this simple? Because I come from a background where I use EFT and meditation to reprogram the subconscious mind and do all of the work of retracing the early experiences you have in childhood and all of those things. And then when I came to the ADHD coaching, what I saw be the most powerful tool was literally just, what did you do yesterday? How did it go? What went well? What didn't go well? And then the next day, what are you going to do today that's going to be different? And that was it. But I realized because you do that every day, what you're really giving the gift to the client is, is consciousness. Mm -hmm. So they're able to really see themselves. Not many people really have the ability to, or the container to be able to reflect every day and be like, oh, I didn't see that task through. And I actually was, and I think it was because actually I needed more of a structure or actually I found the structure restrictive and I was mm -hmm. rebelling against it and that wasn't right for me. And really when we have consciousness around the conditions through which we thrive, that's how we can curate the environment that's right for us. And I've seen that time and time again with so many clients. And also what I would say is not a single client is the same, like mm -hmm. not a one. So I think it speaks volumes to obviously ADHD has certain traits, but I, I don't really ever deal with someone who's experiencing the same rebellions or the same inconsistency or anything like that. So, Wow, that's incredible because you found a simple structure that allows you to work with everybody in a specific way, but you're also meeting everybody in their own way and you're individualizing the care and the specific questions that you're asking them and the support that you're giving them to meet their personal needs while keeping everything super simple with coming back to just daily check-ins, self-awareness, what did you do yesterday? How can we fix it today? And I think that bringing that awareness back down into a day, a day seems so manageable. When it's what did you do last week? What did you do last month? That can seem super big. And if it's too micromanaged of like, okay, what did you do in the last hour? What are you doing every five minutes? It can also cause that anxiety. And so you found a window of perspective that works well. It's like, okay, we check in here, we check in here. And you're creating those unconscious patterns of checking in, but also comparing how you feel about activities to how you're going to feel about it. So you're getting them to think ahead and be present in the moment in such a simple way. And then you can personalize 
you can respond to whatever their awareness brings up. And so it's like, okay, what came up yesterday? How do you feel about that? Let's work with that. You're really just meeting them where they are on a day-to-day basis. And I think that's incredible. It's creating a bunch of habits and it's really supportive, but then it allows you to respond to the things that are coming up. And that's a really big thing in human design too, is when you're living your design, you're responding to life. And it's not necessarily, this is your human design, therefore this is week one, week two, week three, week four, this is your six year plan. It's, this is your design. How do you use it to become aware of yourself as you interact with the present moment? And that's really where we learn the most about ourselves is reflecting on the present moment. So I love that. I love that work for you. And then my next question is, what are the correlations that you've seen in human design and ADHD, or I think that you'd mentioned in your email discussing the differences in the language. So what are the similarities? What are the differences that you notice? Yeah. So I think one thing I've really noticed is the description of a manifesting generator, the fact that they're non-linear, that they're supposed to kind of be a little bit all over the place and that being a good thing for them. Also for many gens, they're kind of people who are here to like do a horse riding class once and then in like 20 years it's going to be relevant to them when we look at their life it can seem like depending on the person's judgment right like a hot mess <laughs> but really that's their process they learn so quickly they get the information they need and then the universe communicates when it's time for them to move on and that's right for them So I really see this a lot with the inability to finish things kind of thing, or even again with manifestors, and they're not really supposed to be consistent in that way. Also impulsivity as well. Manifestors are really here to just act on impulses and go for it. I was reading for a girl the other day and she's getting married in like four weeks and she's a manifester and she was like, but I just want to do a personal training course and I want to do it right now. And I was like, do it, <laughs> like go for it. That's great. But like for anyone else, that would seem like a super reckless decision. And it's the other people really that judge us and be like, why are you doing that? It's not the right thing to do. So that's definitely something I notice. Also hyper-focus. I often think, you know, when you have left facing arrows, I notice that I really see this with people with ADHD is like their hyper-focus actually being a strength but also something that can be kind of negative for them as well Mm -hmm. so like some clients when they're hyper focused they're so in what they're doing and it's amazing and they can use it in a way that's so helpful it's almost like a magic portal of time where they just get so much work done but for other clients I see their hyper focus kind of draining their energy and I also wonder when you know your human design you're able to determine like when it's right for you to use that hyper focus and when actually maybe it's not but some clients we have to work with different strategies that kind of help them to break that focus because Mm -hmm. when they're too in something it's too much for them and then they come out completely disoriented and then they can't focus on anything else for the rest of the day another thing would be when you see people in, in their charts and have a quad right and for them Again, you see a similar sort of theme that you see with manifesting generators and that being inconsistent and not being able to be consistent with certain routines and structures and that being a bad thing for them. Like they're not able to fit into, you know, the normal nine to five routine or they can't kind of show up in school in the way that's expected of them. And that's because it's energetically incorrect for them and they don't function in that way. So then they've created beliefs around that being wrong or bad, but actually it's not the case. 
And also the opposite is true, I think, for example, a manifesting generator that has a lot of left facing arrows, but they've always been encouraged to use their energy in a way that's wrong for them. So they have a really negative relationship with structure. And that actually helps them because one of my clients who literally could not focus, like I mentioned him before, he could not focus for more than 10 minutes at a time. So In my ADHD coaching, we use something called Pomodoro cycles, where you focus for 25 minutes, then you have a five minute break. And we actually use those to kind of structure the day for people because it helps them to consistently move the needle forward in the areas of life that are super important to them. And for him, he could only do 10 minutes when we first started. And now we've kind of created the structure. He does like seven, eight, nine a day. It's just not even a thing for him. And like every time we have a monthly meeting, we're like, how have you changed this much? It's actually kind of mind blowing. It's again, that conditioning around structure being a negative thing and like how people really reject that when they're kind of forced to use their energy or conditioned to use their Mm -hmm. energy in a way that's not right for them. I love that so much. We actually have almost identical variables where we have the three parts right, the one part left. And then I'm a triple split emotional manifesting generator. And even after over three years of working full-time from home, I still don't have a routine. I still have no routine. Some days I need to just like wake up and read a little bit in bed and kind of like wake up really slowly. Some days I am jumping out of bed at 5 a.m. ready to go work out, ready to go on a run, ready to go run all the errands, do absolutely everything. Some days it's like I want to just be in my house and move around, just like tidy things up. And so every single day looks different. For a while, there was still this shame coming through of like you have all of the time in the world why have you not found your routine yet? Why haven't you found your flow? And I felt like it was a bad thing, but I've realized that it's been three years and I'm still getting everything done that I need to get done, even though I'm doing it inconsistently. And so I am consistently inconsistent and that works for me. And so if I look at the bigger patterns of my life, it's been three years and I've been showing up for my business. That's consistent. But every single day, every single week looks different. And I mean, I had a hyper-focused session on Monday. I went to a coffee shop and I blacked out for four hours. I do not remember being there for that long. I remember sitting down, posting an Instagram story like, okay, I'm going to do a little coffee shop work. And then like 15 pages of writing later, I'm like, oh, I'm a little shaky. I need to eat some food. My water bottle has been sitting here for four hours and I haven't touched it. (laughs) And then yesterday I needed to just not work. And like we had a storm, so it worked really well with my schedule and the power was in and out anyways. But because I had such an intense hyperfixation session, I needed like a full day to recover. That works for me. Sometimes that's not an every single week situation, but every once in a while still, I I was a little bit dysregulated for like four hours. I probably could have done really well with about three, but that last hour where I was so in it, I was just like, okay, how many more can I do? It's still something that I work with. And so I'm consistently inconsistent. I'm lucky enough to where I can take a day off if I need to, because I did so much in that one session. For a while, that was also my expectation is if I can write 12 emails in four hours, then like I can 
do that every day. And then if I'm not meeting this high standard that I've set for myself in the hyperfixation moment, then I'm not doing enough. That comparison can also be really detrimental to people with ADHD because they can be extremely productive when they have that surge of energy. And this goes for manifestors, this goes for even people with an undefined sacral center with the projectors and reflectors because maybe there's a transit where they've got manifesting generator energy for a week and they get everything done and they're ovulating that week so like they've got extra (laughs) extra energy and it's super incredible and then they crash a couple of days later when that transit goes away and they're back in their own energy because they've been running on high when they didn't give themselves time to come back down and like regulate that there's so many different places that it can show up and i feel like any of us can experience symptoms of adhd and really it can come back to personal dysregulation in some way there's a little bit of personal dysregulation yeah absolutely and also a lot of the time it's the resistance to the thing which actually then makes it an issue or more of a problem or it continues to make it a theme in your life whereas Often all it really needs is, again, that self-awareness and really becoming your own energy reader and having that space to just check in regularly and be like, for you, for example, you really noticed there that actually that hyper-focus was really good, but maybe you might have needed to break that a little bit after a certain point. And now you've learned that you can keep moving Mm -hmm. forward, but also... I think it's about becoming your own energy reader and just paying attention to like, how does my energy respond today? Like, how is it responding in this moment in time? And also things like understanding current transits, like you mentioned with human design and also astrological transits and things like that can really kind of give us an idea and languaging really to describe what we're experiencing so we can have consciousness around it and work with it as opposed to resisting it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that so much. Accept what's going on Mm -hmm. and work with it. (laughs) You've mentioned a couple of tips already, but do you have any other super helpful tips or tricks for people with ADHD that you have found work really well on a daily basis or just favorite things that are really sparking your sacral excitement? Yes. So my favorite technique to help people to work with is I always say to my clients, when the why is big enough, the how is easy. Mm. And really, I I get them to work a lot. So there's an actually there's an amazing resource if anybody wanted to dive into it. Dr. Demartini, he wrote a book called The Values Factor. Have you read it? I don't think so. So basically within that book, it kind of helps you understand what your values are based on the things that you do in your day, the things that are actually important to you, the things you spend your time doing, the things that you tell yourself you want, but you don't dedicate any time to. There's a great values assessment on his website if anybody wanted to do that. But really what I help my clients with a lot is to kind of really understand what actually matters to them. Because often when they're out of balance, it's just because they don't want to do it or they don't have a good enough reason why it's important to them. And Dr. Demartini in his book really teaches us to really understand what our values are. So for example, for me, one of my highest values is adventure. I just love exploring things. And that can be like a mental adventure, exploring philosophy or physical adventure. Like I just love climbing and going out hiking and things like that. So for me, when I introduce an adventurous value and align it with something that I'm struggling with, it helps me to see it through. Mm. for example I was struggling a while ago with my fitness I really couldn't be consistent with anything so me and my partner we go rock climbing every weekend and that for me it's like a challenge and an adventure like a thing that I can a problem that I can solve and I love doing it 
So that's just an example. But really, I think a thing I noticed with people with ADHD is I don't think it's an accident that we're seeing so many neurodivergent people now. And really, all I see them as a lot of the time is just a really radical intolerance to doing things that they don't want to do. And I'm like, cool, do more of that. That's amazing. Because especially when we're going into the 2027 shift, I don't know if you speak much to your audience about that but really we're moving from an era of time where everybody was supposed to be the same and that was like the purpose of that 250 years and now we're really moving into an era of time where individuality is going to be more important than it ever has been before and stepping into your own individual expression so I don't think it's an accident that we have a rise in things like neurodivergence and people really kind of stepping into the unique expressions of themselves. I really see that having your own personal whys and being super clear on what drives you, what lights you up, what's your thing. And you can use that to fuel other areas of your life as well and get really strategic with it. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. And I feel like there's so many connections around the shifts that we're about to see in 2027 and the rise of ADHD and neurodivergency. Even Ra Uruhu mentioned that we'll probably see an increase in autism diagnoses because of the mutations that are happening with the solar plexus, because the emotional center, essentially, it's switching from being both a motor center and an awareness center to just an awareness center. What we're seeing with people who have autism, they're emotionally aware, but they're not emotionally charged. Their social cues, they don't respond the same way because they don't emotionally respond the same way that so many people do. And so they'll like miss social cues because they're aware of what you're saying. They have the emotional awareness, but they tend to have a deeper emotional awareness. They're reacting based off of the awareness of the emotion and not allowing the emotion to cause the action for them. When the emotion isn't motorized, when that's not just like moving in your body, naturally you have just an awareness of it. It's more of a projected energy than a manifested energy. And so it's slowing down that response. And so we're seeing the dysregulation in, they have the emotional awareness, like shame pops up. Shame, you should do the dishes. And you're like, I'm aware of that shame, but it's not motorizing my body. It's not initiating me to take action, actually get me off the couch. All it's doing is playing a shame story in my head. And so we have the awareness of it, but not necessarily the action and the physical response to it in the same way. And so he predicted that we'll see that rise because transits like this, it's not like a, hey, 2027, you know, January 1st, switch. Everybody now who's born from this point on, like if you were born five minutes ago, not you, that's not how it works. It's a general shift. And so of course we're seeing the beginning stages of that. One of the theories that I've been playing with is we're seeing an increase in diagnoses because we're experiencing the early stages of mutation. And of course, every mutation starts out as a disorder, as a disfigurement, as something wrong. Every single mutation starts out that way, but that's how change happens is something small changes from normal and all of a sudden it becomes bigger and soon that is the normal and that replaces what once was. That's a fun theory that I've been playing with and thinking about is are we seeing a rise of neurodivergency because we have more awareness of our emotions and we're less emotionally responsive than we were 250 years ago? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes so much sense. 
we see this in astrology as well in terms of periods of time they're flux they're not like changing overnight like we start to see echoes of them happening way before the transitions happen mm -hmm. so it makes a lot of sense that we're seeing that now when i think about the 2027 shift like i really see it beginning in the 1980s like even human design coming into existence in the yeah. 1980s also like the gay rights movement was a very big theme then so it's like people fighting for the freedom to express their individuality and just be exactly who they are we've seen echoes of it way back then leading up to now so it makes sense that that mutation would be happening now that's super cool i, I yeah. haven't been that way oh yeah i'm really fascinated in the transition because i have the left angle cross of duality and so i have the 4037 which is in the cross of planning and then the 3420 which is in the cross of the sleeping phoenix so half of my incarnation cross is in the current cycle and half of my incarnation cross is in the cycle we're stepping into as a six two i feel like i have a lot of responsibility with bridging that and then it's the only incarnation cross in the entire human design system that has two channels the 2034 they're pairing partners and then the 3740 are pairing partners it's like i'm an emotional manifesting generator but my emotionality is it relates me to that cross of planning and then the 3420 is relating me to the cross of the sleeping phoenix so i'm super fascinated by it because i feel like i'm helping bridge things for it it's a really cool transition to be alive during <laughs> <laughs> love that that's so exciting and like maybe even stepping into a new expression of yourself as well and like a new part of you kind of coming to the forefront so it's going to be yeah really yeah and I think it's fun that I have an undefined g-center too because it's like always new expression <laughs> oh my god I love that oh I can't wait to kind of watch this new evolution of yes your eyes peel for 2027 guys <laughs> yeah <laughs> and at that point I'll finally be up on the roof I have a little bit over a year left before I transition into my rooftop phase. So yeah, it's and gonna that, be fun. This transition about nine months ago. And oh my god, I can feel it. It was definitely a slow burn. But I mm -hmm. just really feel like the retreating from life a little bit. And it's so nice. I'm really, really enjoying it. But it's definitely a yeah. really new phase of life. Did it start early for you? It did to an extent, but I think that it's become way more pronounced actually later than I expected. I, I thought I was seeing whispers of it. And then when I actually turned 30, I was like, oh, there it is. <laughs> if that makes sense. It has just been like, I just really like staying home and gardening now. I'm out all the time as much, but it's been a real shift in identity for me as someone who really identifies with being an extrovert. I yeah. really was just out all the time doing all the things. And so that the shift has been pretty radical to be honest mm -hmm. yeah I've heard a couple of six lines tell me that they felt like they started crawling towards the roof around like 25 26 and I swear there was my 25th birthday and I was suddenly like I don't want to talk to anybody <laughs> <laughs> and yeah I've been looking at mine because it's in Aries and mine starts pretty much the day that Saturn enters Aries so I have one of the longest Saturn returns possible <laughs> which will be really fun. <laughs> oh, no. um, but yeah, it starts in like 2025. And so I've just been noticing over the last couple of years, still there's so much enjoyment in the work that I do, but there's also a desire for like more space and 
even less of the daily activities. So I'm curious to see how that will impact me. And I feel like that's also something that could be really seen as late ADHD diagnosis. It's like somebody who's a sick sign, they step into their 30s, all of a the sudden they're not going out, they're not doing all of the energetic activities. Maybe they don't have the desire to be socializing as much. They're starting to reflect, they're starting to look inwards, they're starting to notice things about themselves and like they're reflecting over that first 30 years. I'd be curious to see if a lot of people who have a late diagnosis happen to have a six line in their profile. Mm, yeah, that I'd makes be curious. sense. I do actually work with a lot of people who are like 50s and 60s. So that's like second Saturn return as well, their experience. Yeah. So I wonder even the energy of coming from that up on the roof and coming mm. down into the community, that kind of energy. I wonder whether that transition then creates that. Yeah, because you could be more removed and then all of a sudden it's like you have more energy and your behavior starts changing. You're like, wait, this is not how I've been for my entire adult life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Well also like physiological shifts but like there's so many cycles that affect us like all the time you just mentioned like Saturn return but like Pluto transit and things like mm-hmm. that like through your human design chart and light different things up so there's lots of different themes in your life and some planets move a lot slower than others so you can have different phases of life you can express yourself in different ways because of that as well so. yes I'm so excited I love that we've been able to have this conversation and I love that you brought in transits because that's right even though we're our own individual people and it is about self expression our self-expression can change based off of the people the places and the planets that we are interacting with our identity can shift and change and i'm so excited to see even more of this in the future and that actually leads me to my last surprise question which we've already kind of played with so i love this in your perspective as we think about the transitions and even this 2027 movement and the things that we're going to be experiencing then what are your hopes and visions for for the future? What do you hope the society looks like? I think that for me, one of the things that I'm most passionate about is treating people as the individual that they are and allowing space for that. So like workplaces that allow for, you know, how do you thrive and really creating conditions around that. We're seeing a huge shift in the UK. We have the NHS, which is our healthcare system, our public healthcare system. And we're seeing a shift in the NHS now to patient-centered care. So treating the individual as opposed to treating people like the masses. When my mom had cancer a few years ago, they recommended that she had radio or chemotherapy based on a percentage. And the percentage didn't make sense at the time. And we were like, why would she do that though? Because you're basing this on a statistic of everybody and she's actually in this category, which is very different. So my sister is uh, studying naturopathy at the moment as well. So that's all about functional medicine and treating the individual. And I just think that my genuine excitement for the future is that we're all just going to get to live life in exactly the way that feels right for us. That really is what I hope for. I always really struggled in like a traditional nine to five. I just cannot do it. It does not work for me. I have no energy, but I thrive, like you were mentioning before, by just floating around and following my sacral to be like, what's exciting for me now? What feels good for me? And I've spent so much time crafting a life where I allow pleasure and desire and things like that to lead what I do. And because of that, my work is way better. My contribution to the people that I work for is way better. That's really what I'm excited for. And even the future of my business and be able to give that work environment to other people. I can't wait to be able to kind of hold that space for them and be like, okay, what works for you? What are your gifts? How can you contribute in the best way? How can we help you thrive? 
Oh, I love that so much. We're entering into an age of individuality. I genuinely believe this. And as we all become more self-aware, I believe that we will become better advocates for our own alignment. And as we advocate for our own alignment, we are also advocating for the alignment of everybody that is involved. So it starts with us. It starts with self-awareness. And then from there, we're able to reflect and work with the gifts that we have. And we're able to inform the people around us of what it is that we need. And I genuinely believe that we are the experts of our own life. So Hannah, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a delightful conversation. Where can everybody find you if they want to hang out with you some more? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. So yeah, you can find me over at handpicklife.com. This is a business that I'm running, which is all about somatics and things like that. But if people want to join our mailing list in a couple of months, we're going to be releasing some content and some courses and things like that all around human design. So we're really going to be feeding that into our work now, which I'm really looking forward to. We're going to be working with somatic deconditioning and reconditioning as well, which is going to be really fun. Also, you can find me on at Rise and Shine Astro and HD on Instagram. I'm currently a little bit quiet over on Instagram because I'm reestablishing my sacral relationship with Instagram because it's something that I used to hate, but I'm now finding a way that's really fun for me. So I'm going to be back on there very, very soon. So you can give me a follow over there. Amazing. Thank you so much. We'll link everything down below. And thank you everyone else for listening to today's conversation. I'll see you in the next episode.